Amen. You know, I don't think they knew what the song, the uh, sermon was going to be this morning when Brother Thomas preached, but I do think God is trying to intertwine uh, all of this today to help us with our perspective a little bit. Uh, it's easy to get distracted by all that we've got going on and get down a little bit in the world, uh, and God wants us to look around at what he is still doing and what he still wants to do. I don't know if you noticed, but I liked what happened up here tonight. Uh, Brother Zach Lapone was smart. He got a substitute Zach up here. He's like, look, Mom, and look, if I get another Zach to stand in my place, do, do, do I have to sing? And so I didn't know we could do that. Maybe from now on, I'll find another Jeremiah to take my place sometimes when I get up here to preach. But isn't it good that we can think about all that God's done? We come to God's house. Isn't it good to get to meet with him and his people, to open up his word that we've read so many times and allow God to speak to us through his word, maybe something fresh and new that we needed to refresh and encourage our spirits. What a blessing it's been to be in God's house today, to look around at what he's done, the blessings he's given us. I've sat down this afternoon. I have my card in my pocket. I don't know if you got one, but I got one. Brother Edwards is going to make us some more. So if you didn't get one, you'll be able to have a give thanks card to remind you of some things to give thanks for. And I was just thinking this afternoon, one of our teachers, Miss Haley Roberts, been in the hospital, uh, very, very bad off, very worried about her the last few days and getting to go home today, maybe have already gotten to go home today. Uh, my mom and dad, they're better from COVID. They're not back yet, but they're better from COVID. And a lot of our folks who've been traveling, been out of town, you're back home. It's good to have God's people back. And we could go on and on and on tonight, thanking the Lord for his goodness toward us, meeting with us this morning, getting to hear from his word and the one that brought that. You be in prayer for uh, Brother uh, Ab and Brother Paul as they travel back tonight. They were supposed to be preaching tonight, but they had to get back, and uh, they're on the road now, so pray for them as they travel. They're praying for us in the service. Uh, the Lord did allow us to, uh, to meet our preacher tonight. Uh, like I said, Brother Thomas, I thought he was preaching, and so I said, well, I'll get prepared, and I'll preach something tonight, and the Lord allowed us to meet uh, a precious family here just today at our church, uh, the Spillman family, Brother JJ and Miss Allison, and uh, little Miss Riley back there in the nursery. Got to spend some time with them today, and missionaries to the Ukraine. I'm going to be leaving for the Ukraine in October, correct? I'm sure he'll tell you a little bit more about that here in just a few minutes. As we're sitting there for lunch, we ran into Brother Lenny and them over there, and Brother Lenny says, uh, who's preaching tonight? Is he preaching? I says, I don't know yet. You know, you just meet somebody. You don't just share the pulpit with somebody that you just meet. You kind of have to pray about that and figure out where they're at and where they're from. And the longer we sat there, I began to realize the Lord would have him preach for us tonight. And so glad to have Brother J.J. Spillman and his family here. And uh, so honored that folks are willing to go where they're going on our behalf. And I told him we were sitting there at lunch. I says, I have no doubt the Lord had you here because today has been about perspective. Brother Thomas, Brother Paul preached this morning, helped us with our perspective, didn't it? And then a missionary willing to go and, and gladly willing to go to fly their family, new little baby girl that they have, to fly into the area where bombs are being dropped to go on our behalf. Makes your problems look small all of a sudden, doesn't it? Makes the things we gripe about small all of a sudden. I think God wants to help us today with our perspective. We're glad to have them here. Uh, brother, you want to introduce your video, or he'll introduce that. Welcome into the pulpit tonight, if you would. And good evening. It is good to be with you all tonight. And I'll just say thank you to Pastor for the opportunity to share with you. We have a presentation video that will give a little bit of an update 
about my wife and I, our testimonies of salvation, where God has called us to in Ukraine. And bear with it, some of the stuff is a little bit older. Things have changed since we've been on the road even for the last two years, uh, starting in February. And you all know about that, and you're no stranger to what's going on in Ukraine. And we'd appreciate if you just pay attention as we're going through. Pray for the faces, the faces of the people in these videos. Most of the footage was taken in Ukraine, put together. And who knows where they're at right now. Many of them are probably not at home tonight. They're somewhere else in the country. And I'd appreciate your prayers with us that maybe we'd be able to see some of these folks get saved. Let's go ahead and show the video. Thank you, guys. My name is J.J. Spillman. This is my wife, Allison. We're missionaries to the country of Ukraine, sent out of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, with the help of BIMI. The country of Ukraine is quite beautiful. It's approximately the size of Texas. Its significant grain production is earned at the name the breadbasket of Europe. The population of Ukraine is nearly 44 million people, the majority of which are Greek Orthodox in belief. The country of Ukraine has two main languages, Ukrainian and Russian. The majority of people in Ukraine remember what it was like to live under Russia in the Soviet Union and do not wish to return to it. They're very kind and hardworking people, and they love their families very much. Many of those in Ukraine have learned several different trades through the work that is available. They seek success on earth, but do not realize that success on earth will not guarantee them a spot in heaven. My family started attending church when I was three years old. At the age of five, I made a profession of faith in Christ, but it wasn't until camp of my seventh grade year that I was finally convicted and I received Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. When I was in high school, we attended a youth conference at North Valley Baptist Church where God began working on my heart about surrendering to full-time Christian service. In 2013, the Lord opened the doors for me to go to Bible college. There, I was able to be a part of the bus route, soul winning, and many more opportunities to serve Christ. During my sophomore year of Bible college, the Lord began working on my heart about missions. It was not until our missions conference that the Lord truly spoke to me and I was convicted about surrendering to full-time service on the mission field. After graduating college, I was able to work at Bible Baptist Church in Marysville, California as a school teacher. I was born to John and Don Spillman, veteran missionaries to the country of Ukraine. We moved there when I was three and a half and at the age of five, I trusted Christ as my personal savior. I'm so thankful that I got to grow up in the ministry with my parents there in Ukraine. While in Ukraine, God began working on my heart to surrender to preach, and I did so during my junior year in high school. I did not know at the time, however, that God's plan for me was missions until I'd gotten to Bible college. And while at Bible college, God not only showed me that it was missions that he wanted me to serve him in, but also missions to my home country of Ukraine. One day while in a village, I was handing out invitations with my father for a revival service we were planning that evening. We stopped to speak to a lady who was working outside in her garden. When we had told her what the invitation was, she immediately rejected us and said that she did not want it. She was born Orthodox, would live Orthodox, and would one day die in Orthodox. I was so sad leaving her house that day because what she truly was saying was that she was born a sinner, she would live a sinner, and she would one day die a sinner without Christ. We held the service that night and many folks came. Some drove in their cars, motorcycles, some rode in horse-drawn carts over rough terrain for several miles just to come to church. The people of Ukraine are hungry and thirsty for the gospel. They just need someone who can take it to them. 
When I came back to the States to study at Bible College in 2014, a war was brewing in Ukraine. The people of Ukraine had protested and overthrown their current president, who was pro-Russian in his policies and blocking their application to join the European Union. It was at this time that Russia took the opportunity to seize several portions of Ukrainian land, the Crimean Peninsula, and eastern portions of Ukraine. There's still fighting going on in the eastern portions of Ukraine, and thousands have died on both sides. There is a war going on in the country of Ukraine hidden from many people's eyes, but it's not a physical war. It's a spiritual war. It's a war for the hearts and souls of the men, women, and children of the country of Ukraine, and it's a war that Christ won at the cross of Calvary. Many, however, do not know that there is victory in Christ. Since Ukraine's independence from the Soviet Union, God has opened the doors for the gospel in Ukraine. Missionaries and nationals have had greater freedoms to give the gospel, and we've seen many, many people saved. The problem is that there are so many that still do not know Christ as their personal Savior. Millions are lost in that country, and though they may have heard of the name of Jesus, they don't know what he can do to save their souls. There's still so much work to be done in the country of Ukraine, and the laborers are few. There are so many people dying each day that do not have the gospel in their city or village, and they need someone who would just take it to them. Would you please prayerfully consider supporting us as we go to reach the lost in Ukraine? Man, thanks for showing that. Uh, that's just our presentation video. Uh, as we mentioned, my name is JJ and my wife, Allison. Would you raise your hand, sweetheart? Uh, we're missionaries to the country of Ukraine. We've got Riley, who's in the back. She's about two months and loving every bit of it, uh, being in the nursery and stuff, enjoying that. Uh, we've been on the road for the last two years going to the country of Ukraine, and in particular to a city called Sumy, which is in the northeastern part of the country. Uh, before this war and before everything got started, it was a city of about 200,000 people, uh, but it was a city that most people didn't care to talk about. Um, in fact, until my last year in Ukraine, before I came back for Bible college, I'd never heard of the city before. Uh, when I was in Ukraine at that time, I was serving an orphanage ministry. On Saturdays, we would go and uh, do kind of a Bible club with the kids. And uh, because of how many orphans are in Ukraine, uh, they would uh, begin to cycle them through different orphanages. Uh, God used that to open the door for us to witness not to just a group of, you know, 20, 30 kids. Uh, but over the course of the year, we probably had about 200 to 300 different children that were able to hear the gospel as God brought them through. And we were able to minister to them for the time that they were there. And I remember one girl came in. She was about eight years old. Um, loved this yellow sundress that she would wear. She came, started the spring, and uh, she began to come to the classes and immediately fell in love with the workers. She learned our schedule, our routines of when we would arrive on Saturdays. And because we'd ride public transportation, we'd arrive at different times from the city. And she'd be waiting for us there at the gate, excited to see us and excited to uh, find out, okay, what was today's story going to be? What was the song that we were going to sing today? And I remember one Saturday that I was coming up, uh, she began jumping up and down, very anxiously yelling at me, JJ, JJ, guess what? And I got a little bit closer and I asked her, okay, what? What's going on? And she said, I'm leaving. And I knew her parents had already been adopted or uh, had already passed away. So I thought, okay, maybe she's been adopted. I began to ask the question, okay, uh, are you being adopted? What's going on? She said, no, I'm not being adopted. They're sending me back to the city that I was born in 
Sumi, Ukraine. Would you please come visit me there? And just like that, I heard someone sigh. I, for me, that, that broke my heart. Would you please come visit me there? I didn't have an answer. There were other workers that came by at the time, and uh, she was distracted because other friends came, and she never got an answer to her question. When I came back to this phase of study at Bible college, we talked about it a little bit in the video. I knew the Lord wanted me to be a preacher. I didn't know he wanted me to be a missionary. And the moment he began working on my heart during that missions conference, hey, JJ, I want you to go back to Ukraine, I began to fight him. I'd say, the Lord, you don't want me to go back. I'm just homesick. That's where I grew up. I love Ukraine, but you have someplace else for me, and that's okay. I'll go where you want me to go. And eventually, the Lord got it through my thick head that, no, I want you to go back to Ukraine. And I began to pray, okay, Lord, where do you want me to go? In a country of 44 million, uh, there's no shortage of people that need to hear the gospel. But, Lord, I want to know where you have for me to go specifically. I prayed like that for about two years, and then a trio got up and sang a song at our church one, uh, one Sunday. Tell me of God's love one more time. And as they stood up and sang that song, if you're familiar with it, you know that in the chorus is this kid coming to hear the story of the gospel one more time from this teacher. Tell me about how he loved me, about how he left heaven for me, about how he came to die for me. And as I was thinking of the words of those songs, my mind went back to that young girl and her question, would you please come to sue me? Would you please come to sue me? And for me, it was one of those, like Paul had the man from Macedonia. Would you please come over, come over and help us in Macedonia? For me, that was my call. God began to play that memory in my mind. Would you please come to sue me? Would you please come to sue me? And I prayed, and I felt like, okay, Lord, this is where you want me to go. And I began learning about the city. The city of Sumi, as I mentioned, is 200,000 people. Uh, really, what it's known for nowadays or <clears throat> in the past is uh, several different universities that it had. Other than that, it was Sugar Beach during the Soviet Union that that was its big claim to fame because uh, they couldn't get sugar otherwise for the Cold War and different stuff. But after the Soviet Union fell apart, uh, most of Ukraine moved on, but Sumi didn't move on. You look at the city, and, and my wife and I, we took pictures. We were able to visit there for a survey trip last year. Uh, most of the buildings looked just like Ukraine looked when my parents moved there back in 1999. Um, it's unbelievable to see the lack of progress and change. But one of the things that struck my wife and I the most is we were going around that city with a man named Eugene. He began to show us around the city, and we began to see building after building after building that were Orthodox churches. I'd count no less than 10 Orthodox churches currently standing. They had monuments up to different ones that had been destroyed in World War I and World War II. Some of these buildings, there's one that has giant statues on the top. And the reason I bring it up is because they stopped doing that about 200 years ago for Orthodox churches. You can imagine this building is close to 250 years old. That's how long those people have had a false gospel. That's how long they've been told that if they light a candle or if they pray to an icon, their loved ones will be in heaven even though they've already passed. And as we were walking around the city and looking around, our heart just broke for them. To think of the darkness that they've had. We had uh, other missionaries, and this isn't against them, but other missionaries asked us, why would you even want to go there? It's just kind of one of those little cities that seems like it's been forgotten. But God didn't forget about them. He called us to go there. And so we began to get ready. We got on deputation in June. God's brought us all the way. We're at 100% now, praise the Lord, ready to move over. And then stuff started happening in February. And we began to pray, God, what do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go? For a while, it seemed like that Sumi was going to be taken very quickly under Russian control. And uh, they were able to fight off the Russian invaders for a while. And, and right now, they're under Ukrainian control. 
But as the war raged on and continues to rage on, we began to talk to our pastor in Odessa, Ukraine. Uh, pastor Mark, I said, you know, is it even a good idea for us to come there right now? And he said, no, not for your family it isn't. And we began to pray, okay, God, where do you want us to go? And the Lord began opening doors, began burdening our heart for Romania. And that is a country right next to Ukraine. And there's a specific city called Cluj, Napoca, Romania, uh, where one of your missionaries, Brother Brian Nibby, is serving at. He's been there for a lot of years. And the reason that God brought that to us is because he's got a number of Ukrainian refugees there uh, that he does not have a free uh, conversation with. Uh, he has interpreters that can do Ukrainian, that can do Romanian, uh, but he doesn't have anybody that speaks Russian, which I, I'm fluent in and my wife is learning. And the Lord began to say, hey, go there until I move you. And I began working on our heart, and our plans are in October now to go to Romania uh, to work with Brother Nibby. Uh, one of the things that I enjoy and look forward to doing is, is he, there are Ukrainian villages on the Romanian side of the border with Ukraine. There's a river. People moved across it years ago, and then they started a village, and it's been Ukrainian ever since. They're just in Romania, and they need the gospel. They need someone who can tell them that Jesus died for them. Another thing that Brother Nibby looks forward to doing is begin making trips into western Ukraine to travel up there and to visit other churches uh, to encourage them to bring them aid as needed and to be, begin helping refugees. Uh, that's just a little part of what God is, able, uh, God is using us to do uh, to be able to work with the Ukrainian people. Uh, but one thing I just ask you to pray for is pray for Sumi. Uh, God did not call us there in vain. Uh, there's 200,000 people. There are 200,000 reasons to go, I, I often say. They need the gospel. And by the way, this war hasn't changed the greatest need of the people of Ukraine. Their greatest need isn't for them to win this war, though that would be great and that would ensure a lot of freedom and I believe a lot of prosperity that way. Their greatest need is Christ. Because whether they win this war or not, they're still going to go to hell if they don't hear about Jesus and don't trust in him. And that is what they need the most tonight. And I appreciate your prayers for them and for us as we go. We got a lot to do. I got my uh, ordination service next month, and then we're packing everything up between the middle of September to the middle of October. And those of you who've uh, packed a house or apartment before, you know that that's no easy task, but imagine trying to ship all that overseas. And uh, so we'd appreciate your prayers with us that God would give us wisdom that way. And we already got the tickets. October 20th is our departure date. We're looking forward uh, to that and moving over there. Would you open your Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 1 with me tonight? Philippians chapter 1. I love the New Testament because for me, the New Testament, it takes and it summarizes a lot of the things and principles that God tries to teach us in the Old Testament. Uh, one man has said that for every New Testament principle, you can find an Old Testament example of, of that principle where God shows that this is the way he's designed the world to work. This is the way that you please him. And if you live this way, these things happen. If you live that way, these things happen. And one of my favorite things about Philippians in particular is this verse found in chapter 1. We're only going to read one verse tonight, so I'd ask if you'd stand with me, please, real quick. We'll read it and we'll pray and get into the message tonight. Philippians chapter 1, verse number 12. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word tonight and the opportunity to preach. I pray that you'd please fill me with your spirit, speak to our hearts through your word tonight. Holy Spirit, I pray that you take the truths that are found in this passage of Scripture, the, the things that you want us to know about the gospel and about your power and about your plan 
And Lord, I pray that you would use that in our hearts tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together to worship you, be able to fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. We look forward now to the time that you have for us in your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. Would you please be seated? In Philippians chapter 1, really the book of Philippians is almost like a missionary prayer letter. It's Paul writing back to this church in Philippi, trying to encourage them and say thank you was really one of the things he wants to do. They had sent a gift to him there in Rome to uh, support him, a friend that was sent by them to deliver that gift. And, and Paul was trying to encourage them, let him know that their friend is okay. He'd been sick, but he's good now. And thank you for taking care of me. One of the things my wife and I do in our prayer letters is we try to include personal testimonies, things that have happened to us along the way. But if you'll notice what Paul does with his testimony and the things that are going on in his life, he skips over them. That's what he's doing in verse number 12. Before that, he has a long introduction and lists a prayer that he prays for the people at Philippi. But when it comes to that moment where you're waiting for to find out what happens, Paul says... I want you to understand something, guys. That the things that have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. If, if this was me sitting in, in the church at Philippi back then, I'd be like, Paul, where's the stories? Paul, I know that you have so many things going on in your life. I mean, the, the, the stories that have happened and we've heard and, and Luke has told us and others, Paul, your life is not boring as a Christian. What, what's going on? Tell me, Paul, what is going on? What is happening? And Paul instead chooses to move the focus off of himself, off of the things that he's facing. He says the focus needs to be that the gospel is going forward. But for sake of understanding this passage of Scripture, I want us to kind of understand what's going on with Paul right now. You see, if you're uh, unfamiliar with the book of Philippians, it seems like Paul is in a really good place right now. It seems like where Paul is at, he, he's walking with the Lord and God is using him and things are, are progressing so much further in his walk with the Lord. But the truth of the matter is, is Paul is not physically in a good place right now. Right now he's in Rome. He's in prison. He's been sent there through many different trials. And really the last time that Paul was with the Philippians was in Acts chapter 20. You've got the rest of the book of Acts that leads up and tells the story of the things that had happened to Paul between then and this writing. Along the way, Paul leaves Philippi to get down to Jerusalem before Pentecost was his plan. His plan was to get down there so that he could take part in the ceremony. He had a vow that he was going to keep. And on his way down as he's visiting different churches and brothers and sisters in Christ along the way, God warns him twice that, Paul, if you go down to, to Jerusalem, there's prison waiting for you. There's bonds waiting for you. Paul, if you go, that's what's waiting for you there. Paul, nevertheless, would not be dismayed. It wasn't like prison was a new thing for him. And he said, I'm willing to go, and I'm willing to die for the Lord. I believe this is where I need to go. And Paul continued on his way, and he got down there to Jerusalem. And as he's there in Jerusalem worshiping with some of his brothers in Christ, they suggest you should go to the temple. Maybe it had been a long time since he'd been there. That was uh, one of the places of Jewish worship that was uh, just something to see. And they said, Paul, you need to go and worship there. We've got some other men that are planning to take a trip, well, to, planning to be there in that temple. You should go with them. Go enjoy your time there worshiping the Lord. And so Paul goes with these men, and he's there in the temple. 
Uh, but because this is Pentecost, this is one of those giant holidays in Jewish tradition where men from all over the world would come to Jerusalem for this specific day. I can imagine maybe Paul's excitement at seeing other brothers in Christ that had traveled to keep this holiday, other brothers that he hadn't seen maybe for many years. But along with friends that came to this particular area, foes also came. As he was there in this temple worshiping, there were Jews from Asia that had been upset with him before, had him cast out of cities before. No doubt maybe some of them were the ones responsible for stoning him at Lystra and other places. And here they see Paul worshiping in the temple and realize an opportunity. If we can get this entire group of people against him, we might just be rid of him once and for all. They begin to spread a lie and a rumor saying that this is Paul. He's trying to get us to leave Moses. He's trying to get us to leave the law. He even brought a Greek into the temple, which to us maybe does not seem like a big deal, but to the Jews, oh, that was taboo. You were not allowed to bring a Gentile in the temple. And God had so many rules in the Old Testament that there were certain generations that had to pass before they were even allowed in. And to think the audacity of this man, Paul, to bring a Greek into the temple. Of course, none of that was true. But the men that are there in the temple at this time are passionate for, for God. They, that's why they traveled to be there. And all of a sudden, this giant group of people began to fall on Paul and began to beat him and began to almost tear him limb from limb. There in that city, though, there was a captain who was prepared. He knew that with a big holiday and with a big crowd of people, it's easy for things to get out of control. He had a, I like to call a response unit ready. And immediately, the first sign of trouble, they begin to go down there to the temple. They begin to rescue the person who is at the middle of this group, Paul. And they take him and they bring him out and they begin to question Paul and why are the things happening to him and why is this giant crowd angry at him? And they even come to the point of stringing Paul up to, to whip the truth out of him before Paul states that he's a citizen. And that was his right to have a trial before being punished as a Roman citizen. That began a, a cycle of over two years of trials that Paul went through court cases after court case after court case before Paul finally gets to Rome. In between all of this, an assassination attempt is, is concocted, is planned, and Paul is sent now from Jerusalem to Caesarea, and there he's with Felix the governor for two, two years. He, he's there uh, testifying to him time and time after again, and even to the point that uh, Felix begins to tremble at one point, saying, come back at a more convenient time. We'll talk about this again. But if you read your Bible, the very next verse, it says that the reason that Felix would have Paul come back so often is he wanted some money from Paul to let him go. He wanted a bribe. I can think of the story my parents tell when they first got to Ukraine. Things, things were different than the way they are now, and there wasn't quite as much freedom. And so uh, they were submitting their paperwork, and there, there is a lot of corruption. And so as they were there sitting in the office with the interpreter there, the interpreter turned to them and said, okay, now this is some time when you give so-and-so some money. And uh, my parents were shocked. They thought that they'd covered all the bills. They'd written all the checks. All the paperwork was there. Uh, is this like some fee? What is this for? Said, oh, no, no, no. That's just how we do it in this country is the way he said it. My parents said, we can't do that. That's a bribe. We can't just pay that. And they didn't. They said, the paperwork has got to go where it's got to go, and God will deal with it as he does. 
Praise the Lord. They were able to minister for another 15 years after that. Paul here would not pay the bribe. One of the reasons I believe Paul wouldn't pay the bribe is he realized the stain that would have been on God's name. You know, sometimes we don't think about it as believers. What we do affects the name of Christ to others. Here, Paul is, is, is there in this uh, council. And wouldn't it just simply be easier to just pay some money to be free and go win some souls? I mean, is that so bad, really? Is that really the wrong thing to do? Can you imagine the headline the next day? Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, won't trust his God to deliver him from corrupt government official. By the way, Paul would have suffered the penalty for that, and no one would have thought twice about a corrupt governor asking for a bribe. But Paul said, no, i got to do this the right way. I'll wait. I'll wait until you let me go. I'll wait until things come to the point that they need to for me to go. And Paul waited for two years before finally appealing to Caesar. He realized that nothing was going to happen to let him free. And so he appeals to Caesar. They begin to ship him off to Rome. And we know along that journey, everything went smoothly, right? No, it didn't. Shipwreck, snake bit, to name just a couple of things that happened to him. When Paul gets to Rome, things begin to unfold in a way that he probably would never have expected. He gets to Rome, and as he's there, they choose to allow him to keep a house. Say, so you don't have to be in the prison. You can keep your own house, but you're not allowed to leave. And add to that, we're going to keep a Roman guard with you 24-7 to make sure you don't leave this house. You have to wait here two years before Caesar can even hear your court case. If we were to think about that, that sounds awfully familiar, being put under quarantine. To being restricted, being limited. But in Paul's situation, he chooses instead to be thankful. He chooses instead to encourage others. And in, in looking at Paul's situation, it could have been very easy for him to look at Rome and where he's at and think, God, why did you let this happen to me? You see, Rome is one of Paul's great cities that he wanted to go to. In Romans, he talks about it. I want to go to Rome. I want to testify of Christ. I want to be there to start churches and to help and to encourage other brothers and sisters in Christ. And the moment that God brings him within just a hair's breadth of his desire to serve the Lord, God pulls him short. God says, no, Paul, you can't go to the synagogues like you'd normally do. Paul, no, you can't just go out to the marketplaces like you normally do. Paul, I'm going to put you in a house. I'm going to leave you in this house for two years. Now, if that came to you or to me where we're that close to doing something for the Lord that we've wanted to do our entire lives, what would our response be? I mean, for me, I, I feel like I would be discouraged. I'd be like, God, I, all I want to do is serve you. All I want to do is what you want me to do. And God, you're going to put me in a house? If I was Paul, I'd be like, God, I'm one of your best players. I'm a soul winner. I see churches started. Why don't you just let me play, coach, for example? Why won't you just let me go and do what I'm good at for you? But that's not the spirit that we find Paul in. We don't find Paul discouraged. We don't find him disheartened. We don't find him disappointed. We find Paul encouraged. All throughout the book of Philippians, it talks about joy. We call it one of those joy books. And Paul said, I am joyful, I am excited, I am thankful. If you're to look in the book of Philippians, I believe that you can find the fruit of the Spirit evidenced by Paul's reaction and comments. You can find his contentment. 
He can find his determination to know Christ even more. Even though the situation that he's in isn't ideal, he is walking with the Lord and excited about it. And it seems like his walk with God has never, ever been better. Paul, how do you get there when you're stuck in a house? You can't just go to church, Paul. You can't go out soul winning like you used to, Paul. You can't do the things that you wanted to do, Paul. How do you do it? I began to look and to ask the Lord, God, how did he have this kind of a spirit? I think the answer is really only threefold. The answer, first of all, is, is Paul knew that Christ was with him. I mentioned that before where Paul was traveling down to Jerusalem, God warns him twice that there is a prison and judgment waiting for him if he goes there. But I didn't mention that after that, God twice sends him encouragement, once by Christ appearing to him in a cell saying, Paul, I'm with you, be of good cheer. There in that, in that giant storm just before shipwreck, God sends an angel saying, Paul, everything's good, I am with you. Paul, I'm with you. Boy, if we could get a hold of that as believers, God is with us. He's not left us alone. He's not abandoned us. He hasn't just left us in a corner. I'm so thankful that when Paul got arrested, God didn't say, you dummy, I told you not to go to Jerusalem. You go ahead and go over there. I'm going to work with Philip for a minute, and I'll be back for you later. This wasn't a timeout for Paul. God said, hey, Paul, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Boy. If we were to think about it day to day, the situations that we face, no matter what, God is with us. And you get a flat tire, God is still with you. Even if you want to swear at the tire, God is still with you. You get to work and you find out someone else quit and you got to take their shift and your workload. Hey, God is still with you. You get that call from a family member where something has gone wrong. Maybe a death in the family. That happened for my wife and I. Her grandma had passed just within the last two years. My aunt had passed. It wasn't from COVID. It was a blood clot and unexpected. I got a text from my uh, cousin who's autistic. She's gone. I had no clue what was going on. And before long, I had a phone call from my grandpa. Hey, your aunt has passed. God was still with us. God hadn't left us. God was still there. Paul realized that God was with him but number two Paul realized something very important about God's word would you turn with me very briefly to 2nd Timothy please chapter 2 2nd Timothy chapter 2 in 2nd Timothy chapter 2 Paul is in Rome a second time this isn't the first time when he's writing Philippians this is the second time and it's only who knows how long before his death very shortly before he is killed for the cause of Christ. And as he's in 2 Timothy writing to his son in the faith, he begins to encourage him and he wants to remind him of something. In verse number 8, we find these words of chapter 2. Verse number 8, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, these next words, but the word of God is not bound. Word of God is not bound. Paul didn't figure this out the second time he was in Rome. He figured out that the first time. That even though he was restricted and though he was limited and he couldn't do the things he'd normally do and he couldn't go the place he'd normally go, God's word wouldn't be bound. God could still work through him 
even if he was stuck in a house. God still had a plan for him, even if he was stuck in a house. And he realized that, okay, Christ is with me. He knows what I'm going through, and God's word will not be bound. God won't be stopped. Boy, if there's not any more evidence of that in our lives than maybe in the last two years to see how God's word isn't bound. We think about COVID and all, all the churches were closed and uh, pastor talked about it, meetings outside and, and all of these things. Surely that was a setback to God's plan. But God knew COVID was coming. Personally, I believe that God used COVID to push churches even further for the gospel to get out. How many churches had to develop an online presence to reach their members? Where now anybody in the world through Facebook or YouTube or, or some other medium can, through what they would maybe consider a straight click of the button, somehow arrive at a church service of a building that they'd never walk in, of a parking lot they wouldn't even drive in. And yet all of a sudden they're there and they can be confronted with the gospel. By the way, not just here in the States, but in all of the other countries around the world where there are churches. You realize God's word is on the internet more now because of COVID than it was before? In more languages now and in more availability than it's ever been before? God's word wasn't bound. It wasn't restricted. It wasn't held back. It was pushed forward. God used it. Imagine the things that God did with Paul here in this house with me, would you? Paul is restricted. He is limited. He can't go and do the things he'd normally do. But how did God's word present itself as not bound in his life? One of the ways that Paul did it is he had a, I like to call it a reverse door-knocking ministry. He wasn't able to go out of his house to go reach people, but he began inviting people in. He began saying, hey, come here, come meet with me. I'd like to tell you about Jesus. Come on inside. Imagine with me, you and I are walking down the streets of Rome, marveling at the architecture, and all of a sudden, out of this house pops this giant soldier man. And on it, he's got the symbol of Caesar's guard. You know that this guy's important. And he looks down at us, because I imagine he's like taller than I am, maybe, you know, seven foot or something. He looks down at us and he says, hey, I've got a man in here who'd like to speak with you. Would you please come in? You and I, of course, not wanting any kind of trouble, say, all right, sure, we'll go in. We step into the house and there's a man maybe sitting by a window, a table there in front of him. And he looks over and he smiles at us. We can see the chains on his body keeping him there. And he looks at us and he smiles and says, hello, my name is Paul. But that's not what it always used to be. I used to be called Saul. But there was one day I was riding on a road to Damascus where a bright light shone out of heaven. I was knocked down and I began to question the light and the light revealed itself to me that it was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to die for our sins. And he loves you and he sent me to tell you that he died for you so that you could be saved. And Paul begins to go through his testimony and lead person after person after person after person after person to the Lord. In fact, God saw so to record for us a name of one of these people he reached this way. You look in Philemon, the story uh, that, that Paul tells of a young man, Onesimus, that he reaches there in Rome. At this very same time, God used Paul to see people saved even though he was kept in a house. Boy. Isn't it amazing what God can do when his word isn't bound? Here, Paul is sitting in this house, but not only is he able to begin that reverse door-knocking ministry, but God uses him to write some of the most influential and most important books of the New Testament for us. He writes 
Of course, Philippians, we're in it now. I referenced Philemon already. But he writes Colossians and he also writes Ephesians at, at this time. I don't know if there's a single person in this room that the book of Ephesians has not touched for the purpose of salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 are the clearest verses in Scripture that tell us that our salvation is not by our own works, but it's by faith in Him. And it's by His grace we can be saved. There's no greater verse that my wife and I have to take to the people of Ukraine who have for hundreds of years been told, you have to work, you have to do, you have to pay, you have to give, you have to light a candle, you have to pray to an icon. Every time you pass one of our church buildings, you have to cross yourself. So that you can go to heaven and yet God very clearly writes through Paul, hey, it's not what you can do, it's what I've already done. And all you have to do is trust me for it. If I had to guess which book of the Bible has seen more people saved, at least the top three would be Ephesians. That would be the turning point for just about anybody who's set on their works and yet God says very clearly, it's not by works. God used Paul to write that even though he was stuck in a house. Can you imagine what we would have missed out on if Paul wasn't stuck in that house? If God hadn't limited him and held him there so that he could write that book? We would have missed out on some of the most amazing pieces of Scripture. And yet God in his foreknowledge and his plan knew, Paul, I know that you want to go do things for me in Rome, but I've got something bigger for you planned. I'm going to put you in a house and I'm going to use you to reach millions of people from a house. You see that God's word isn't bound. God's word wasn't bound. Really what it all came down to was Paul realizing that Christ was with him, that God's word isn't bound, and choosing to approach his situation with this question. God, how can you use this situation in me for the furtherance of the gospel? You know where I'm at. And I know your power is not limited by these chains that I have, by the physical limitations that I have. God, how can you use this situation in me for the furtherance of the gospel? And boy, how does God work in his life? Can I ask you, how would that play out in your life? What are physical limitations or maybe uh, different obstacles to you doing what you'd normally do? And you think, God, why did you bring this into my life? God, why is this here? God, why is my tire flat? God, why is, is this situation going on? The truth of the matter is, is God doesn't bring anything random in our lives. And everything that comes into our lives, God can use for the furtherance of the gospel. Paul already illustrated it. In our presentation video, we had a bunch of teenagers in these bright green shirts. Did any of you notice the bed that was there in front of it? It was very quickly up there, a very brief moment. In that bed is a young lady. She's about 26 years old. Her name is Aliana. She's been in that bed for as long as I've known her, which has been over 14 years. Paralyzed, as best my understanding, from just below the shoulders all the way down. She has to have workers with her 24-7 to, uh, to help her to get her through her day. I bring her up because she's someone that is probably one of the greatest examples to me about how God's word is not bound. She's there because she wanted to be at youth conference to hear preaching, even though she had other physical limitations, things that weren't comfortable for her, and yet she chose to be there. To the best of my knowledge, every caretaker that she's had, she's been able to lead to the Lord. 
because of her sweet testimony. They realize, and of course, the difficulty of her situation, and yet she chooses to encourage them. I can't tell you how many verses of Scripture, probably whole books of the Bible she has memorized, or how much time she has spent before the Lord praying for others. But I can tell you this, that's a young believer who chose to believe that, okay, God is with me, and His word will not be bound. God, how can you use me for the furtherance of the gospel? And God's still using her. She was in Crimea, now she's in mainland Ukraine. God is still using her. If God can use her, imagine what God can do with us. We don't have the same limitations. We don't have the same uh, problems that she faces. Many things happen to us in life, and we think, God, why did this happen? God, why did you let this happen? God, this is disappointing. But maybe instead of looking at it like that, say, God, you know that this is going on in my life. And even though I don't like it, I know you can use it. God, would you please use it for your glory and the furtherance of the gospel. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word tonight. And with the truth of Scripture that, Lord, your word will not be bound, you can work. Even when we don't see a way, God, you still have a plan, a way to work. And God, I pray that you please help us tonight as we focus on these truths, that you're with us, that you're not limited, and that you can use whatever circumstances that happen to us for the furtherance of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.